Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Just want to take a few seconds and remind you where you can follow us. Uh, we're on Twitter at Unchurched Pod, and we are on SoundCloud forward slash Unchurched Pod. Pretty much everywhere, Unchurched Pod, except not really. We uh, we only have Twitter, SoundCloud, and and a WordPress site. But you know. All right, enough of that. Let's get into. The- Hey, welcome to the Unchurched Podcast, where your hosts, Michael and Sean, discuss issues of church, life, and religion. No subject is off limits, and our honesty and humor drives our discussion. We welcome you to sit in on the conversation and laugh with us as we challenge serious things. So pour your drink, kick your feet up, and let's get started with the show. <laughs> I didn't know you were counting down. What is up, Sean Dizzle? How you doing, brother? Dude. Pretty good. I'm kind of tired, man. It's been like rainy here. Rainy. And just like overcast and it's a little cold again. Really? You know, so. That'll make a brother lethargic. Yeah, dude. I want to be a bear. Go hibernate. That is not unreasonable. At all. What's uh, what's Michigan weather like? Uh, it's been pretty sunny and beautiful. Dropped in gorgeous, actually. All right. Uh, <laughs> but freezing cold. So, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, 35 today. I think it might have got up to 40, maybe. But I was in the car driving with my son, taking him back to his mom today. And so I didn't really get a chance to enjoy it, you know, too much. It was... Yeah. Mostly just sun in my eyes, not really sun on my face, if you know what I mean. So, uh, I took Micah this weekend to go see uh, Pacific Rim. Really? Yeah. It's pretty. How was it? Pretty fantastic. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever saw the first one. Uh, I actually started it yeah. and got like, I don't know, seven minutes in and it was kind of like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Dude, it's in the first seven minutes when they actually describe what the movie is all about. <laughs> Boy. Well, yeah. I don't know, man. It just it didn't capture me. You know? That was reasonable. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. So, no, I, I never really saw the first one. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you gotta kind of see the first one to really enjoy the second one because they reference a lot of the first movie in the second one. Uh, mm-hmm. But I will say that the first one was... Uh, Quite family friendly, if you will. Uh, the second one uh, had a little bit more swearing in it than what uh, most people would like. So, uh, yeah. uh, but you know, hey, teach their own. It was good though. Both he and I enjoyed it. It was a lot of action. It was a lot of drama. Nice. Excuse me. And uh, but it was fun. It was fun getting out of the house and. You know, having something to do, so. Sure, yeah. Did you eat popcorn? Are you guys popcorn people? Not at all. I hate popcorn with a passion. Uh, what? Yes, I am not a popcorn guy. Uh, the reason being is uh, I can't stand stuff stuck in my teeth. 
Like I'm the I'm the kind of weirdo that uh <laughs> after I eat some chicken and it gets stuck in my teeth, I've gotta go floss. <laughs> so yeah, I'm that guy. I apologize to anybody well, that cares. Well then I can see your dislike for popcorn. Yeah. I mean, do you like how it tastes though? Oh yeah. I mean come on, it tastes like heaven. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it tastes great. I don't know, man. I just deal with it. Actually, just, popcorn yeah. doesn't taste great. Butter tastes great. That's true. Some butter, some salt. If you're real crazy, a tiny bit of honey. What? Uh, yeah, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> Melt some butter and honey together. Uh, it sounds dirty. But no, I, I, uh, I, I, I like the salt and the butter, just like anybody else would. But, man, when it comes down to halfway through the movie and I'm... I'm the guy, you know, with his tongue on his teeth <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the movie trying to, uh, you know, trying to clean his teeth out. It's no fun. So, yeah, it sucks, dude. Well, that does suck. Yeah. I mean, do you eat candy? Like, what? Is, you don't just sit there, do you, right? You know, I, I try to do a slush. Every now and then, I, whenever I go to a movie with Jenna, she loves uh, she loves the slushies, so we typically get huh. one. But Micah's hey, he'll drink a slushie if she's there. But it's just him, him and I. He's not trying to drink anything, you know. You're just chilling. No, of course we bring our own candy, you know. Mm -hmm. Put it in the back pocket and and walk on in. But hell yeah, dude! Uh, Hit the dollar store up. Get all yeah. the same candy yeah. for I mean, like we've got a hundred percent less than you will in the theater. Sure, sure, six hundred percent less. No, but for real, I mean we we've got a ton of candy just for him because of his his mm -hmm. allergies. My son has uh, he's allergic to eggs, nuts, dairy, soy, sweet potatoes, peas, and uh, I'm sure there's one more thing. I just don't remember what it is right now. I know that's so bad. No, I think that's all of it. That's all, all of it. it. I mean, that's like everything. Um, that's enough, right? So, but he can have just plain old sugar, which there's a lot of candy that is just plain mm -hmm. old sugar, like Mike and Ike's or uh, uh, the uh, sweet tart candy. What do you call it? Sab uh, Sour Patch? Cabbage Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids. There you go. One Not Cabbage Patch. Yeah. So, you know, that's what we took. Mike and Ike's and, um, and the uh, Sour Patch Kids. Word. Um, and then I, I went up to the bar and I grabbed a, a Kettle One and soda with a splash of lime juice. And the guy literally did a splash, so I had to tip him good. <laughs> because he wasn't, you know, crazy like most people are. You say a splash and they throw a, a half a shot of lime juice in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, it was good, man. We had a good nice. time. Yeah, had a real good time. <clears throat> How was you guys this weekend? Pretty good, pretty low key. Uh, see, we got up kind of early Saturday, and um, so Brooke's best friend just had an, a new little baby. Ah, so yeah, I saw that on Snapchat several times. Yeah. Yeah. So we went over and took some newborn photos and hung out with her for a couple hours. Uh, and then I was just, like, tired, man. Mm. But then we, uh, I don't 
know, man. Just hung out. <clears throat> Watched some. We're hooked on binge watching Homeland right now. Yes. So we did some of that and then today we uh met her family uh at Red Lobster for one of her brother's birthdays. Did that. Nice. And then uh just chilling, man. How do you like that Red Lobster? I mean, we're not sponsored by them or anything like that, so you can talk bad about them. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I like Red Lobster. I grew up eating Red Lobster. Like, after church, that's what we did. Mm. So, like, the cheesy biscuits, they're nostalgic, and they're amazing tasting in general. So, like, have you ever been to Red Lobster? A million times. Way more times than what I would like to admit. Well, it's kind of like going to a Mexican or Spanish restaurant where, like, you get so full on chips, you don't even know why you ordered. The bread is the best part of the restaurant, right? <laughs> so. Oh, the bread, yeah, I mean. The bread is the best part. Their, their lobster bread or butter bread yep. with their seasoning on it. Good Lord. Yeah, it's pretty sinful. But, I mean, red lobster is pretty good. Um, I went a long time without having it living in Massachusetts because... They just don't have them because there's way better seafood. Yeah. I'm assuming. I don't know. Huh. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I could take it or leave it. But cheesy biscuits, man. Yeah, you know, for me, at the end of the day, I could leave it. Uh, uh, I had a very, very bad experience with them. I don't do good with uh, farm-raised fish. And... Huh. Um, you know, we're at Red Lobster, and I said, hey, I want some salmon, but I can only eat it if it's uh, wild-caught. And, of course, the lady assured me, oh, absolutely, it's wild-caught. And, you know, I don't know, she probably has some sarcasm in her in her voice, but I uh, <laughs> I didn't catch it. And so I valley forged all over the house afterwards. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and I've never liked Red Lobster ever since. So... I'm the guy that goes to Red Lobster and orders a chicken. Uh, hey, man. I like... <clears throat> so we've gone there... I was just saying this today. Like, I think I'm Red Lobstered out. Because we've been there three or four times since I've lived here. Which is, like, about three months. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's good, but... I think I'll be good for, for a while now. Yeah, you know, I can't imagine that... Uh... I, I would think that in, in Illinois, you guys be catching your own fish and, and doing a bunch of country boy stuff, but obviously not. Yeah, barbecue is king around here. Right. But there's there's good fish, too. Mm. Like catfish, that's, a, that's big around here. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it is a season, right? So um, at least... I love catfish. For us here in Michigan, um, the season is starting. Uh, it's It's March now. It's about to be April, and uh, this is when the walleye start running in Lake St. Clair. So, um, you know, it's time to get some walleye. And um, along with the walleye, you usually snag up a bunch of silver bass. The silver bass start running early spring, like right now. They start running up the river, getting up into uh, Lake St. Clair. And uh, I think there's a 25 fish limit per person. Huh. Yeah, so it's pretty good. That's quite a bit of fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, and and as long as you know how to cook them right, as long as you know how to cook them, yeah, 
as long as you know how to clean them. Cleaning them, that's the most important thing. You got to clean them just right. If you don't, um, remember, I'm the Black Daniel Boone. So, mm-hmm. you got to clean it right. If you don't clean it right, it's not going to come out right. So, uh, <laughs> clean them good, cook them good. Man, oh man, it's some good eating. Yeah, dude, I remember uh, I used to go catfishing with my Uncle Bob in Tucky. And uh, I remember <clears throat> we'd bring them back and like have to... He had this rock out in the backyard, and he'd be like, all right, hit the, you know, take the fish by the tail and whack it in the head and kill it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and here comes the emails from PETA. Oh, yeah. There we go. Hey, man, we got to eat, you know what I'm saying? No, but I mean, a couple of the places we went, there was they were like, you know, farm-raised, like farm-bred, I mean... They were honey holes. Like you could literally pay like twenty bucks extra, and just honey they hole, they huh? overstock the pond or whatever, and it's just like you're guaranteed to catch a crap ton of fish. So the whole thing is, in other words, a farm. Yeah. But hey, man, they ate good. Either that, or my uncle was just that good of a cook. You know, I wouldn't be surprised at him by his skills. That's for sure. Well, he was a he was a cook in the army, and then he just cooked in general because he loved to. So, like, with with those two things, like when he cooked, he freaking, I mean, he, it's like he cooked like he was still feeding an army, because there was always food and just leftover food and like, good. Yeah, my kind of guy, dude. Mm-hmm for me especially fish there's a fish place right around the corner um, that Michael will walk up to I've been trying to get him more and more into fish and he already eats super healthy because of all of his allergies mm-hmm. uh, but I love fish and it sucks not having anybody to eat fish with Jenna doesn't like so my fish. wife doesn't eat it no she doesn't eat fish you know oh. uh, yeah she doesn't eat fish her family they don't eat fish uh, you know, her grandparents didn't really eat fish, so I don't know what's up with that. Italians that don't, that don't eat fish, but I don't know. There's an excuse. I, uh, but for me, man, I grew up eating fish, a lot of fish, and I still love it to this day. Uh, so there's a there's a store right around the corner. They have everything. You go in there, it's it's always fresh salmon. Uh, swordfish, they've got ruffy, tilapia, a whole bunch of good stuff, catfish, you name it, crab, they get a ton of stuff, and so it's, it's a, it's a second honeymoon every time I go in there, brother, let me tell you. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of fun. So, uh, the last time, uh, we went, I got some lake trout, uh, from them, and, uh, took it home. Made it up, you know, cooked it up uh, for me and Micah. It was about a, a pound of fish. And, uh, you know, really, really good. Put it in some aluminum foil, throw in some lemon juice, um, some some thyme, and some good Cajun seasonings. Not dressed up real nice and pretty, right? Mm-hmm. Throw it in the oven for a little bit. Comes out super flaky. Perfect fish. It's the, one of the best fish I've ever made in my life. I set it down in front of Micah. He says, it smells fishy. 
<laughs> Duh. Well, it's a fish, buddy. It's, it's a fish. And you know, and, and that is my problem with humanity. If I ever had one, that's my problem with humanity right now. We want fish to not taste like fish. Doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. It's a crime. I love fish. Especially when it tastes like fish. Yeah. So. Well, anyway. <clears throat> so, dude, it's Palm Sunday. Yeah, I feel shitty because I keep forgetting that, like, Sunday's coming and, like, Easter <laughs> is coming. Not that Sunday's coming, that Easter's coming. Uh, why? Why do you feel shitty? What's the big deal? Uh, I mean, I feel like I should know when Easter is. Or not, I mean, I know when it is, but, like, I should remember, you know, like, oh, that's... <laughs> oh, come on, it's a different date every year. Yeah, it is kind of weird that it's on April Fool's Day this year. Sure, and I sure. Feel like Which actually is a great atheist joke, by the way. I, see? I feel like there's a lot of good jokes there that, like, Christian yeah. people... Oh yeah, the uh, joke's on you. Probably scream at. Sure. But yeah, I mean, nevertheless, how funny is that? (laughs) Oh, I I think it's hysterical. I think it's very funny, and I can't wait till the jokes come on. I can't wait for the memes to come over Facebook. Oh yeah. Jesus died and rose again on this day. (laughs) April Fools. I I I think they're going to come out, and uh, I'm ready for it. What was God's joke on April Fool's? His son died for you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that'll probably happen. So, I actually kind of have something that we could talk about if you're interested. I am very interested. So last episode, you mentioned, uh, I mean, you kind of just went right over it. <clears throat> and I was thinking, oh, people probably don't know who Gilbert is, Dan Gilbert. Yeah. And, you know, the reference to that and why Detroit is changing the way it is and how it is and as quickly as it is. And I think it would be fun to kind of dialogue back and forth about, uh, like, how he came into the city and what he's doing and in what city he is doing it. Because I think there might be some similarities or um, some things we could kind of maybe parallel to church and how churches act in society and neighborhoods and people's lives. You know, does that make sense? Interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Believe it or not. What do you think? Well, well, sure, we can talk about it. Uh, believe it or not, you'd probably be able to... Uh, provide more insight about who he is than I would uh, because you actually lived in Detroit as an adult whereas I lived in Detroit as a kid mm-hmm. and I am out of the city right now but uh, I don't know I guess I'm still affected by it all uh, well, plus you're, you're 12 minutes from the city it's not like you're <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah for sure for sure Okay, let me just say, so Dan Gilbert comes into town, uh, he owns the Cavs, right? He's a multi-billionaire, he's got way too much money, uh, and, uh, and he has done a hell of a lot of work, you know, to help out, 
and rebuild the city of Detroit, which was completely dilapidated and uh, a shit show for a long, long time, right? Unsafe and blah, blah, blah. This guy has come in and he is, he's, uh, he's pushed for a lot of change. He's bought a ton of buildings that were crap and needed to be torn down and he's paid a ton of money to revitalize them, to bring them back uh, to their glory days and bring them up to code and, and, uh, and create an opportunity for a lot of companies to come into the city and actually uh, be able to contribute to the re revitalization of the city. Uh, so uh, there are a whole lot of Dan Gilbert buildings downtown where a lot of companies have, have, have uh, they're paying him rent. The dude is just a genius when it comes down to money and real estate. And he's, he's built an empire in Detroit. He owns like, I don't know, a quarter to half of the buildings downtown. Mm -hmm. uh, he owns a, a crap ton of parking lots and, and he's torn down buildings and built parking structures. And then his his uh, his mortgage company, his mortgage arm, uh, what's it called? Rock Financial was was uh, Quicken Loans. Quicken Loans. Quicken yeah, Loans. Yeah, Quicken. Quicken Loans. Uh, you know they they have this huge building. They employ thousands of people, uh, and so he's brought so many people to the city just by merit of them working for him. Um. And so many things have been impacted as a result. And you've got food trucks that are making tons of money now, all because Dan Gilbert brought his people down downtown Detroit. You got wine shops that have opened up, and bars, and restaurants, and clothing stores. Uh, you've got big name, mainstream um, um, clothing stores that have come down to Detroit just because Dan Gilbert and his people are there. Uh, he's he's uh he's got his own personal security working detail down in the city of Detroit, partnering with uh, the Detroit police, and uh, I, it's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible, man. His uh, his vision for what the city could be, can be, you know, its potential. He saw it when it was nowhere close to its potential. And, um, and and is really helping to bring it to a place of beauty. I love it. I love the guy. <laughs> Dan, let's do lunch. Right. So <clears throat> everything sounds nice and fluffy. And I mean, it sounds good. Like you're revitalizing a city that's broken and torn and all this stuff, you know, and you're coming in with your money and your people and your resources and you're bettering it. You're, you know, you're building yeah, new um, businesses, and you're you're providing funds to revitalize the city, quite literally. And um, that, I mean, you know, arguably that's a good thing. Why, you know, that doesn't right. sound bad. It's who wouldn't want that for a city, especially Detroit, one that has such hard history, and you know, just it's a it's a tough city, you know. Needs some help. It's bankrupt. All the leadership's corrupt. Like they can never seem to get ahead. Yeah. And here comes, you know, Dan riding on his white horse, just you know, 
making things happen and it's cool sure flip side of that is i mean one it's there there is some racial things there um and i don't know i can't say that like it's 100 percent this way but it does seem like most of the people he's bringing in or the businesses he's bringing in racially maybe are not as ethnic as you might think, especially for a city that is 82 or 83% um, urban or black, you know, maybe urban is the wrong term, but uh, I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. Sure. So a lot of good is happening. However, it's, it's like you're bringing business from outside of Detroit into Detroit. So a lot of people are like, well, if you want to help Detroit, help the people that are already here make the businesses in Detroit. Don't bring, like, freaking Shinola. Don't bring your company into this city and then say that, like, oh, yeah, we're Detroit. We've always been Detroit. Everything's made here. Well, clearly it's not made here. There's a certain part that are manufactured or put together there, but it's not, like, 100% Detroit made. So don't claim the Detroit name and like everything's made here in Detroit because that's false you know sure so there's there's the good and there's the bad and you don't see the bad unless you live inside the city and you you kind of you know you you see sure I mean there's a shit ton of white people roaming around the streets in Detroit and they they're the ones in the nice cars with the nice suits and you know Dropping money at the nice places. And there's nothing wrong with that, per se. Yeah. But when you walk outside, and, like, there's hundreds of homeless people, like, begging for money, and yeah, smoking crack out of their shoe, and, like, prostituting themselves. I mean, there's still, there's still a lot of broken stuff in Detroit, yep. you know? And it's not just about business and money, and infrastructure and i think it's you know like what about the people that are there so dan comes in and he does do all this renovation and you know reviving the city but he's also displaced people like detroiters people from there that's their home he's kicked them out strong-armed them bought their land tear down their buildings and now it's a parking lot or now it's a it's the the district, which is the new you know arena with shopping and all this stuff, and I don't know. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm not saying that it's all good either. You know? Yeah, I I would agree so with you there. If if Dan, maybe, and his, I mean, it's not just him, but like if you know, that's the name that he associates. So no one ever talks about his people, but if Dan and his company of people really cared about Detroit like they promote sure would things be slightly different and would there be more job opportunities being had for Detroiters and not necessarily people outside of Detroit because and I can say this personally because I talked to a lot of people and I've dealt firsthand with certain things um even personally like mm. there are a lot of people in Detroit who need help or need jobs but it seems like even quicken loans man like everyone you know works at quicken loans when you live there oh yeah but none of them live in the city right and i would love to see a statistic like with percentage 
on how many people that work in downtown for Quicken Loans actually live inside city limits of Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not trying to bash Dan. I'm not him. I'm not his on his advisory board. I don't have the money he has or the vision he has. But having like I can like you know everyone sees on the news or hears like oh yeah Detroit's like the new Brooklyn or you know it's the new up and coming city and like I've sat in meetings with like these people from Detroit who were like fuck you man like up and coming like we've been here yeah where the where the hell have you been why do you give a shit about me now yeah. oh you don't because you know my grandma got kicked out of her house so you could have a fucking bench that says you know advertisement on it like what is that about you don't give a shit about detroit you don't give a shit about me so i don't know it's just crazy to think and here's where i'm going with the church part of it because hold on before you get to the church part let me respond a a little bit sure um i i i can appreciate the uh the other side of the coin that you gave uh compared Mm -hmm. to my my viewpoint uh, but but let me let me come a little bit more in the center and say I have zero desire to live in the city limits of Detroit. Sure, right. I mean, a lot of so, people don't want to. <laughs> yeah, it's zero zero desire, and and it's not because of Dan Gilbert. It's because of the fact that um I can pay the same amount of money for taxes in my city versus Detroit. And actually get my city services <laughs> that I'm paying for. Mm-hmm. That's number one right there. Uh, number two, uh, that kind of goes along with that. I, I know that, you know, uh, compared to where I grew up, compared to, uh, you know, versus where I am now, I know the response time is going to be pretty doggone quick if I call the cops if I need them. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So. Uh, not only that, I didn't even think they'd show up. <laughs> not only that, uh, thirdly, uh, the school system where I'm at now is uh, actually works. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah the the education that they're getting it's 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 night and day. Mm-hmm. So um, a fifth grade, my son's in fifth grade right now. A fifth grade kid in Detroit versus a, a fifth grade kid anywhere in the Gross Point. I mean that it's the the level of education is is uh, probably you know a year or two better. So yeah, I would say probably two or three, honestly. Yeah. yeah so uh, I, uh, all of those reasons, uh, and Dan Gilbert aside, and and. I'll back you up. I totally agree with you. I I thought that it was it was quite awful, quite awful. These people, you know, getting strong armed out of their homes that they've lived in for their thirty five, forty years, uh, so that uh, other development can happen. But the fact is, is that mm-hmm. that's how it works, right? I mean, there were if you think about Woodward. Uh, one Avenue, Woodward. One of the main streets it, in Detroit. It goes yeah. from it goes from the the so if you can picture a V, that's the way that the city of Detroit is shaped. So right at the bottom of the V is downtown, 
and as you go up it goes wider and wider and wider uh, to make a V and the top of the V that completes the triangle that's eight mile road that everybody knows about you know eight mile because of the movie eight mile thank you Eminem. but that right there that's your dividing line from Detroit to the rest of the suburbs right for the most part for the most part I'm, I'm in a suburb of Detroit that is south of eight mile right so I'm, I'm not but I'm, I'm closer to the water and it's pretty awesome here but <laughs> it is uh but the so so with the way the city works, Woodward pretty much bisects uh, the city, and so on the west side of Woodward, that's considered the air quotes west side. The east side of Woodward, that's considered air quotes east side. All right, that's your dividing line from east and west. Going north on Eight Mile or going north on Woodward, it all used to be farmland. All those farms ended up getting sold, bought out dried up, paved over in order for us to have freaking shopping centers a hundred years ago. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that kind of stuff happens and you, and you can call it gentrification or you can call it whatever the hell you want to call it. The fact is, is that um, you can't have an omelet without breaking some eggs. You know? Mm-hmm. So stuff like that needs to happen. Uh, and, and some people get screwed over, unfortunately. But the fact is, is that you... Uh, what we miss is that uh, though there may be an end goal in mind, uh, an end picture of this utopia, well, without a better way of putting it, this utopia uh, of of the way that the city could be, the fact is is that some people are reaching so far forward and want to go a little bit too fast to get to what they want, and so they complain about where they are because they don't have the picture of what they want yet. It's not happening fast enough for them. But I've been around the city long enough to know that, man, stuff takes a long time to change. You know, believe me, my my biggest complaint about the city is that all of this stuff that people talk about uh, that's so great about the city of Detroit, what they mean is that downtown is great. Mm -hmm. And I agree with them. Downtown is great. But baby, let me tell you, you you move five, you you walk a few blocks away from downtown and you're going to be afraid. (laughs) <laughs> because the neighborhoods that surround downtown ain't all that shabby. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, I mean, that's the fact. That's the truth. Like the city, they say the city is coming back. Oh, I'm sorry. The city hasn't come back. Downtown has come back. Downtown is gorgeous. It's beautiful. You, you got, like I said, you've got Dan Gilbert's personal protection staff, you know, helping out the city. And then the... The response time downtown, the amount of cops that you see out on the street or downtown. You drive five minutes up the road and you're in the heart of the city, not downtown, in the neighborhoods. And then you got, you know, blocks that have two houses on them. You know what I'm saying? You've got blocks where uh, there's a whole lot of fields because the houses have burned down. You've got areas where there's, there's houses that need to be torn down that are just burned. And 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 people they they throw dead bodies in there. They throw dead dogs in there. You know, they, there's a lot of there's a big uh, ring of dog fights that happens in Detroit. The dog dies. They find an abandoned house and they throw the dog in the house. Stuff like that happens. My cousin uh, turned up dead. He was missing for a couple months. This was years ago. I have a cousin that that died years ago. He turned up dead. 
They couldn't they couldn't find him, couldn't find him. Found him inside of an abandoned house with a bullet in his head. Hmm. Pretty much decomposed. It took him a couple months to find him. He was already, he was dead for a couple months. That's what they do. You, you know, somebody get killed, they dump him in an abandoned home. Um, there's a lot of rapes that happen in these abandoned homes. Little kids that are walking home from school, and there's abandoned homes on their street. They'll pick them up, take them into an abandoned home, rape them, leave them there, and bolt off. You'll never find the guy. Stuff like that is still happening in the city on a regular basis. Um, and that's not, um, it's not cool, dude. No. And that is not, that's not, that's not Detroit being revitalized and coming back. Okay. Downtown is gorgeous. Yeah. Corktown is nice. All these different cities or boroughs, if you will, within the city are really nice. Woodbridge, Corktown, um, uh, uh, give me some other ones. West Lafayette area. Um, yeah, I mean, West Village is... West Village? I don't know. It's not that bad, no, I feel like. it's not that bad. Freaking, it's, uh, full of, it's full of hipsters. News centers, you it's, know, pretty it's all beautiful. Right. What's the one where um, Eastern Market is? I think that's Eastern what it's Market, called. that's Eastern what it's called. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? I've got but, my... All the ones we just said kind of enclose. They surround downtown. Yes. I mean, they're all pretty much like you leave downtown, boom. You hit all the ones we just said. So once you get out of those, it's like that's the Detroit everyone fears. Exactly. That's where you don't want your car breaking down. People don't realize that Detroit is a very, very large city. It's huge. I mean, it used to be over a million people in this city. And um, and now we're the city of Detroit is around six hundred thousand, if that. You know, so the the tax base has ex- has uh, has decreased extremely. Uh, and when there's a, a a depressed tax base, guess what? Your city services aren't aren't being paid for, babe. It's just not happening. Mm-hmm. You don't have anybody to pay for it. The people aren't there anymore. So. Yes, so that's the darker side. I know that goes a little bit away from Dan Gilbert, but I, I think it's a little bit more of a balanced view. I think Dan is just uh, one piece of the puzzle, and he's he's doing his job in that he's, he's affecting what he can. One thing's for sure is that we shouldn't look at him as the savior of the city because he's not. It's going to take a collective effort. It's going to take... Uh, it's going to take people that actually live there stepping up and being successful, opening up businesses, having an entrepreneur mindset, and employing themselves, employing each other. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them are doing that. I don't, I don't mean to say it as if they're not. I think a lot of people are doing that. A lot of people are starting businesses and employing people in their neighborhood to do the job. I mean, there's urban farming that's taking place in a lot of places in the city. You know, where they are taking these lots where there's abandoned homes. They purchase the lots and then turn them into farms. That's not Dan Gilbert doing that. That's the people in the neighborhood doing that. You know, and that's a good thing. We need more of that to happen. And we need that to be actually uh, praised in the media. It's not something that's being talked about enough. 
Because I, I think that if it was brought out to the forefront a little bit more, hell, you know, people won't be so scared to go down there. True. <clears throat> and I completely get everything you said. And here's, you know, here, here's the thing about, like, the church. Because I, so, the owner of Rocket Fiber, I can't remember his name for the life of me. That's a great name, by the way. Rocket Fiber? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he was, like, straight up called out. <laughs> I mean, Detroit, like, rebuttaled, like, hardcore against this man. Because they, I don't know if you remember this, I think you probably will, but, so they put up this banner, I mean, it was a, a massive banner, like, almost billboard size, I believe, like, in, uh, relation to size, but they put up this, uh, this banner that has all these white people on it, and there's not a single person of color on this billboard thing, right? Mm. And it said, don't quote me on this, the, the, the facts in this are not really where I'm going, so, but anyway, the banner basically said, you know, this is how we see Detroit, and, I mean, honestly, like, if you're a white person, you'd look at that and not think anything, but if you're a person of color, you're, and you live in Detroit, like a city that's 82% of color, you're gonna see this banner and be like, huh? Oh, hell nah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's how people took it. So I was, um, I was privileged to be a part of a meeting uh, that was held, and the owner of Rocket Fiber showed up, and uh, it, you know, it was just people from the community of all races and beliefs and nationalities and everything, and it was awesome, man. There was probably, I don't know, I'd say seventy people there. And uh, just, it was kind of like an open mic. You know, you had the floor, and then everyone else had to be quiet until that was done, and then someone else could take the mic, and so on and so forth. And Yeah, for sure. Um, the owner of Rocket Fiber, you know, had a chance to, like, say his piece about, you know, hey, we're here for the people, and blah, 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 blah. You know, is it heartfelt? Is it not? Who knows? I don't know. But... It's just, it's surprising to me that this company, like, comes into the, I mean, they, they're in the city, you know, and they, they proclaim something like that. Like, how did you not even think, especially in Detroit of all places, that that would not create waves? Like, did you want to create waves? Or are you just so blind that, like, you don't even know the place where you, you live? Because whether or not Detroit... People think downtown, or they think the whole 149 square miles of the city. I mean, you can't say Detroit, and then I'll just think of a ton of white people, and that not be a thing. I mean, there was just a movie that came out, because the 50th anniversary for the riots mm. was this past year. So, like, race, and like, I mean, there's tension there, you know what I'm saying? Like... Why would you do that as a company, or as anyone, but especially as a company who's trying to, like, make Detroit better, supposedly? Hmm. Here's where I'm going with it. So I feel like the church does a lot of the same things, right. especially when we're talking about, like, church planting or, right. you know, trying to evangelize. Like, we, we go 
into the quote-unquote mission field, as we term it. And we try and make people be like us and do what we think that they need. Which is just kind of like what we've been talking about with, you know, these people with money coming to Detroit and give Detroit what they think it needs to be. Maybe it's right, maybe yeah. it's wrong. And it matters. So there's both spec, you know, both sides of the spectrum on that. But yeah, I feel like the church, on a whole, again, not everyone and not, you know, sure. everyone in the church, but mostly we go and we plant a church and we, especially with like urban missions or, you know, um, going overseas even and doing like actual missions work. Like, hey, you need a well, we'll build you a well and then we'll peace out and we'll never see you again. Some of that's good, but some of it's like, mm-hmm. you didn't really, I mean, you helped them. Now they have water, but like, what if you taught them how to build a well? Or <laughs> what, what if you like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how, yeah. <clears throat> we, we just think that, oh, we have an answer and we're supposed to go do good and help people. Does it always help people? And does it help people the way that they need to be helped? You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, there was, uh, there was some relief efforts that happened in some country I can't remember. I heard about this when I was a kid. They uh, they dropped off shipments of all this food that Americans eat that's canned candy corn and canned corn and and processed crap that Americans eat. And they sent it to a to a country that is used to living off the land and eating vegetables and eating, you know, the the animals that were indigenous to that land. And uh, basically all of our relief efforts poisoned the population. It's horrible. Because they're not used to eating corn filled with, you know, dairy and, you know, sauces and all this crap that we put in our food to preserve our food. Their bodies weren't able to handle it, and it was killing them. It goes right along with what you're saying. Just because we think that somebody might need it doesn't mean that they necessarily do. Well, and here's, here's the point. Like, you need to know... And, like, educate yourself on certain things, especially when you're going into some place that you're not comfortable. I think that you could say that a little bit more specific. I I think that the the best way that we can help a group of people is to learn them, to learn that group, to learn what is important to that group, and then help to provide that thing that's important to them. You know? I mean, somebody that, if somebody's got clothes, you don't need to give them clothes. Maybe they're hungry. Okay. Maybe they're okay with the clothes thing. Maybe they need food. Maybe somebody that's well fed don't have the clothes. Okay. Well, you don't have to worry about the food. You can focus on the clothes. You know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. I I, I think it's a, um, it's a travesty. Of a lot of the churches, and and, and again, I I agree with you. We're not saying all churches, but we're speaking from our personal experience, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What happens a lot of times is that churches, they set up shop in a specific area and don't realize the demographics of the area that they're set up in, okay? Uh, Case in point, the the last church that I was a part of... uh, they they were in an area in a city they, first of all it's a it's a thousand seat sanctuary that we couldn't fill with a thousand people on a sunday 
okay? Mm-hmm. I did the demographics of the city, just trying to plan out some evangelism and, and outreach efforts for the city. Found out that 2% of the population of the city was Hispanic. 2%. Okay? Less than 2%. Mm-hmm. Less than 2% of the population was enough to fill that church twice over. And so my pitch was, if we would hone our resources to just focus on the 2% that actually live in this city, we wouldn't have enough room to actually service those people. If we just focus on the 2%, just this one ethnic group, right? just focus on that one ethnic group, we would not have enough room on a Sunday to actually service all those people if they all came. You know what I'm saying? So... I, I think one of the greatest downfalls of churches is not knowing number one who they're called to, number two who their immediate audience is uh, in the geographical area. Not knowing, I, I mean, in in the same church in the same city, there were uh, there were more people that were retired in that city. Even if all we did was just minister to the retired community we wouldn't have enough room in that church in order to do it. You know what I'm saying? Just focus on one group in the city that you're in, and you'd be amazed at the impact that you could have. But, yeah, the, uh, you know, that didn't work out. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> that didn't work out. So, uh, well, it really does. I, 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 I agree with you no. 100%. I mean, you have to have a goal yeah, and, and bringing it back to Dan Gilbert, I think he has a vision and he has uh, 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 something that he wants to do, uh, something that he sees that's capable of, and he's working towards that. And I've got friends that actually work for him that are doing very well working for him, um, but they say he's extremely driven, and for him, it's about the bottom line. He wants to make money. He's in it to win. Yeah, and I mean, again, I'm not trying to come against, I mean, him, and I, you know, I'm not trying to come against the church even. I'm, I'm just saying, like, in the ministry side, in the church side, I mean, the Detroit and Dan Gilbert and Rocket Fiber was just to get to this point, and because you know we've both lived there, so a little easy for us to talk about, but sure. I mean, I just I got sick of like going to church and realizing like we're doing all this outdated stuff and we're like sure you know you look around the church and it's like okay we got about 500 people that's cool they're mostly you know a mixed variety of age groups and ethnicity and that's awesome but it seemed like you know, the the older people kind of ran the show because, hey, you know, when you have ideas and it's like, oh, we should try this or we should do that or what do you think about doing this? Like, instead of doing that, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's going to, you know, probably won't go over well with uh, basically the people that pay the tithe. And it's like, sure. Oh, gotcha. And it's just like a buzzkill. Yeah, so it all goes back to the same like, thing. Sure. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, 
let them go somewhere else with their money. Well, who who are you preaching to? Who are you really worshiping and believing that run this? Like who runs this church? And when you when you realize it's basically the old people because that's what the head and the hierarchy, I guess you could say, like the elders, they run the thing and they cater to the old people, and it's like the old people have the money. So really, it's just about the money. It's not about ministry. It's not about, hey, let's do this thing that's like burning on our hearts or that Jesus would do or, oh my God, we're going to run out of every single penny we have or we're going to go do this outreach thing and fuck everything else. No, 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 we can't do that because then the old people won't give their money and then, you know, we need that. <laughs> and that's depressing because it's like... Yeah. what's what's the real vision? You're doing things that and you and you're feeling good about them like hey let's send this orphanage a ton of clothing we're gonna do a clothing drive because you know they're orphans and they need clothing well maybe they don't need clothing maybe they need freaking pencils and we're sending them like bags and bags of clothing thinking you know we've we've checked our box and we can go to heaven and you know woo jesus we told you we loved you check out what we did and the orphans are like I don't need any more pants, man. I need books and pencils so I can learn. I don't know. It's just, I don't even know if I'm making any sense anymore. It just really annoys me. And I, I hope I'm communicating it correctly because I think like if people could stop with the bullshit and like, sure. just do ministry, like yeah. look at what Jesus did and do that. Why is it hard? Yeah. Well, you know, I... I, I mean, it is, it is hard, hard because it's not an easy thing to do. I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying, like... I, I feel like people want the easy way, and they want to just feel good and know that they think that they did something good, even if they did something that didn't really matter anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I follow you. Yeah, you know, I think that this this uh, your heart that you're communicating is something that is shared across the board with our generation and the generation that's coming up behind us uh, of of Christians. There is a uh, within us because we actually do believe that Jesus is the way, uh, and that it's important to look like him in order to be called a Christian. We need to look like him. We, we're more concerned with looking like him and acting like him uh, in the world than, uh, than the money, than the glory, than the title. For, for us, it's not about the recognition or the title. It's about the mission of people. It's about whether or not we touch a life for real. Whether, whether or not a life is really changed. Not about, you know, some feel-good, stupid message on a Sunday morning mm -hmm. that gives people Holy Ghost goosebumps. You know what I'm saying? Not some altar call for, you know, something as trivial, uh, something that's trivial or something that, you know, some stupid emotional reason. But actually affecting a life to the point where they become actual, literal disciples of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, like, 
you affect one person, that one person goes and affects their family. And then that family goes and, and affects their community. That community goes and affects that city. That city goes and, and affects that county. You know what I'm saying? Like the actual, an actual impact. Yeah. But I, I, I think that's what you're communicating. And I, and I feel like I'm, I'm trying to say the same thing. Like, you know, I don't need another feel-good sermon. I don't need another good word. I don't need somebody to prophesy to me or to tell me uh, about my future and how great, you know, God's going to do this and God's going to do that. None of that shit matters, dude. None of it matters anymore. The only thing that... I mean, it, it can matter. It, and it did matter when I needed to know that. Sure. But now you've matured but, to a place where it doesn't because it doesn't fulfill... It, uh, it doesn't fulfill the the actual call, the actual need that's there. Mm-hmm. There's there's a there there's uh there's a greater purpose to all of mm-hmm. this Christianity and doctrine and all the stuff that we've grown up receiving. It, it's not about you know uh one man and his pride or one man and his ego or his elevation to pastorship. What what it's really about is whether or not we are looking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, affecting people the way that Jesus did, um, and, and, and not worrying about the rest. Not worrying about the pat on the back or the, the accolades or whether or not the money is going to come in as a result of it or anything like that. And and I think that the our, our, the main point is that Mainstream church has become so driven on maintaining their building and the structure of their Christianity that they've lost sight of true Christendom, which is you following Christ in every aspect of life and you helping others to do the same thing. Not about going to your building, not about tithing to this specific place to make sure that this specific place continues to run the way it's ran for the last 100 years. But uh, being in a place where you yourself are a true disciple, which means that I'm about to get satisfyingly deep right now. Are you ready? I think it's time. Cue the music. A true disciple of Jesus Christ is increasingly obeying Jesus, increasingly worshiping Jesus. Okay? increasingly following Jesus you're you're constantly on the increase of your of your lifestyle your worship your obedience to him your surrenderance to him that's what a disciple is you're increasing in all of those things so you yourself become a disciple of Christ and then you teach others to increasingly follow him to increasingly love him to increasingly worship him to increasingly obey him in all of life you learn that, you teach others to do that, you help them learn to do the same thing. That's what Christianity is. Not going to a freaking Sunday morning service, dude, to, to some church. I mean, the Sabbath wasn't even a Sunday anyway, for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? But uh, but a true disciple, is, is it's not a, a freaking building that you're going to. It's not a certain amount of money that you're giving up. None of that matters, dude. The only thing that matters is that you increasingly love, obey, and worship Jesus Christ. 
That's what a true disciple is. And that, my friend, satisfyingly deep. Satisfyingly deep. Dude, I'm tracking, man. I like that. <clears throat> I totally agree. And like, at some point, I mean, you look at American society, commercialism drives everything, and supply and demand, I, I mean, is a thing, but I feel like it's more, we're, we're, we're smarter than that now. And we can create a demand that needs the supply. And therefore, we generate our own supply and demand. Where before, I feel like it may have been a little bit more organic, you know? And I say that to say, I feel like church is this, like, church in America, on a whole, again, not everyone. But it's mostly, like, the same way. So churches, mostly sure. churches in America, do the same freaking thing where, like, you know, it's about the building and it's about the pastor, like the celebrity pastors and the bigger building, and we need to plant churches. We just need to plant, you know, and that's how you know that, like, your church is doing anything in the church world is if you have to plant. So, right. Oh, cool. Well, we've got 25 people, but we're already planning a next church plant because, like, God's really moving, you know? Like, is he really moving? <laughs> That's what he's telling you to do is to plant another church and you have 25 freaking people? I mean, maybe it is, but, like, I don't think that all of these freaking churches who are planting and, like, multiplying, like, they, you know, the books would seem to th- make you think they are. Like, if Christianity was growing we would not be uh, tolerated in America. Churches would not be a thing. There would be no mega church. And I really believe this. Like, the biggest times Christianity grew was when it was in horrible, horrible persecution. And it wasn't out of a popularity thing or because it's a cool thing or because the flashing lights are there or... Because they have the good-looking singers up on stage who sound like angels. No. People were fucking being killed and slaughtered for owning Bibles. <laughs> That's when it grew. Like, not when you have, like, celebrity people. Freaking, I'm not going to name names, but, like, it's just retarded to me. That, like, where's the passion for, like, God to to wreck our lives and to, like... I don't care what you do to me, God, but, like, help me show people who you are. Like, John Piper has always been kind of intriguing to me because he's so anti-prosperity gospel. And with recent stuff and John Piper, sure. I mean, he's not God. I'm not God. He's not Jesus. Yeah. No one else is Jesus. So, you know, whatever. The man did and teaches and says what he does. However... God has used him in my life in ways that I cannot reject or ignore. And one of those ways is just preaching against stuff and trying to to teach people how to plant churches and what to do in ministry. And like persecution is a thing that unfortunately is necessary. And in our society, we don't want that. We don't we want to be mainstream and comfortable and liked by everyone or tolerated 
comfortable. But yeah, we want people to see things the way we do. So it's not even like a okay, you give this and we'll give that, and we'll take that and you can take this. No, it's like oh, we want to be popular and like you can't come against the Bible in school because. You don't do that with Hinduism, so you know what I mean. And we all like squirm and want to tweet about it and go pray and all this stuff. And it's like, <laughs> and maybe I'm wrong, but like, shouldn't you want to be persecuted? Like, if you're a Christian, there should be some part of you that's like, I don't care for persecuted. I kind of want it because, <laughs> like, that's when people understand. Oh my God, you're being beaten. You're being kicked out of school, like you can't buy groceries. Why? Because of your God that you serve. Well, I want to. I want. I want that. I, I want that faith. I want that radicalism. Like I, that, there's something there. People don't see that. People think of Christians as like these overweight, which we mostly are. Again, so are Americans. Like tolerable. Is that a word? I just made it up. You just made that one up, bro. Well, it's a good one, so we're sticking with it. Or I am. My point is, like, people see us as hypocritical pieces of shit. And quite honestly, the reason why I don't want to go to a church right now in my life is because I mostly agree with that. And unfortunately, that's the reality, and it sucks. It sucks so much because... It's not advancing anything for Jesus. People just write us off like, oh, you're a Christian. Like, I don't tell people I'm a Christian. I find other ways to, like, share that I believe in Jesus. Because if I say Christian, I know immediately, because it's happened over the years, oh, so you this and that and this and that. It's like, you know, you have me pegged now for what you think church and Jesus and God is. And that is so not true. You know? Yeah, no. I feel you. I feel you. I feel like I said a lot of stuff. No, you did. <laughs> no, you did. And and there's 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 not a problem there. I you know, but you know, for me, I wouldn't necessarily say that I want persecution because that's a validating point for, you know, true faith. The, the fact is, is that um, I'd rather be a person, like I said, that is uh, rooted in, in like seriously uh, increasing in my faith, increasing in, in, in loving him and worshiping him and obeying him. I, I, I think that the, the, the true test, if you will, of the validity of our faith, uh, the stick of our faith is... Our increasing in love and worship and, and obedience to him. Uh, the when persecution comes, persecution is there to try. It's it's not there to necessarily you know when, when Jesus talks about the the, uh, uh, the the people that weren't rooted in the word uh, when the, the word was sown you know, on stony ground and and sown among uh, among thorns. Okay, that whole passage. What he says about persecution is that 
a, a person that that isn't rooted, that doesn't have the word that actually goes down into his heart, which is the true test of faith, what he says is that when persecution comes, they'll be offended, they'll waver, they'll, they'll fall away. Not that the persecution was the real test, but that whether or not the word actually reached their heart and, and, the, and the root of, or the fruit of the word of God actually reaching our hearts is that we increasingly love, we increasingly worship, and we increasingly obey. That's how you know a person truly, truly is believing and truly is learning, right? Their, their capacity to love increases. Jesus says that, that you will know my disciples by love, not necessarily their persecution. You know what I'm saying? So perse- persecution comes. Persecution comes, and, and it will come. I mean, Paul said, he that will live godly will suffer persecution, right? But it's not a test of your faith. If you're living godly, you're going to suffer persecution. Like, we, this, is going to, this is a fact. This is going to happen. Uh, but I think that our aim and our goal should just be to increase in our discipleship overall. I mean, because shit happens, bro. Life is going to happen. People are going to suck. Offenses are going to come. All these things. The only thing that's going to make us solid is our relationship with Jesus Christ. How strong we are in him. You know, this stuff is going to happen. I know the guy that you're talking about, and I've listened to a few uh, things of his and man oh man oh man if he was still around I'd love to box him a few times uh, when it comes down to some of the stuff that he says I, I think that there needs to be a balance though John, you know, John Piper? yeah yeah. Oh, he is still alive he's still alive alright yeah. contact me John Piper church in uh, Minnesota okay so I, I mean he's, a, he's th- a Baptist preacher oh okay there just needs to be a balance you know what I'm saying like we we need to keep things in perspective, and the fact is is that yeah, you know, shit happens and it gets really hard, and 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 you, you gotta be careful because it'd be real easy to fall in legalism and and um, and and to get super strict with stuff. But uh, again, Jesus died for the imperfect, not the perfect. You know, and then that suggests that our lives in Christ is to be increasing in everything not decreasing mm-hmm. which means you're not going to you're not there you've not arrived paul even said look i'm not i'm not coming from the standpoint of somebody that's apprehended or somebody that's gotten there but one thing i do i forget the things that are behind and i reach forward for the things that are ahead i press toward the mark for the for the you know the prize of the high calling of god he's it, it was a a standpoint of hey look i haven't gotten there yet but I'm ever increasing. I'm still increasing. I'm still getting better and better and better and better. I think the the downfall or the 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 thing that we that we miss when we say, yeah, you know, I just want you know, let this hard time come so that real Christians can actually shine and and the fake ones uh, fall away or or be exposed. That we put ourselves in a position of pride and ego and judgment. And so I think we got to be careful in that when we when we're looking at it, we're saying, okay, we all have a starting point, and the starting point is our faith, right? At the point of faith, we're saved. 
So we all have that same starting point. The one thing about grace, one thing I've learned about grace over the years, is that grace puts us all on the same level playing field. We all come from the same starting point. A true disciple, though, a true disciple, regardless of what church they go to or what church they 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 ascribe to or how much they give and offering and whether or not they elevate the man or not, doesn't really matter. One thing about a true disciple is that they're always increasing. They're always pressing forward, getting a little bit closer to Jesus, just like you would with your wife. You want to get a little bit closer every single day. You want to know a little bit more. You want to get a little bit more intimate. You want to get a little bit more romantic. You want to get a little bit closer every day, every time you contact each other. That's how it should be with Jesus, regardless of anything else. True. Persecution is going to come. Shit's going to happen. All that stuff is going to come. It's inevitable. We well, can't help it. Maybe I didn't communicate correctly. Because from, from what you're saying, I, I feel like maybe what I was saying was taken a different way. But like, I'm not saying, you know, we should be persecuted. I, I'm just saying, like, I don't know what the hell I am saying now. I just think we're too, we're too overlooked and we're too, you know, we're, we're like the kid that's like sort of crazy that people just are like, oh yeah, don't worry about him. Sometimes he like slobbers and says weird things, but you just kind of ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's how the church is. They're not taken seriously. Yeah. Like no one, you know, and, yeah. and we're the, the people who, I mean, we, Every every faith thinks you know they have the truth, but like, sure. I f- I just I feel like I mean we do have the truth, and people won't even hear us because one we either look just like them or we're so behind the times that like we're not even being taken serious because like we have bulletins of paper that are just text and it looks horrible when you walk into this building and it's like. How are you going to take that serious, you know? Yeah. yeah. Or, like, freaking they're playing, you know, hymnals from, like, I mean, Jesus. Like, I know hymnals, but I don't want to sing them all the time. You know? like sure. From the 1500s. There's, there's just, like, a lot happening, and I feel like it's it just sucks, man. Like... I feel like the opposite of what we have in America would be persecution, and I would rather have that than we're just the redheaded stepchild that no one takes serious, and you know. Yeah, you, so I'm not saying that okay. I want it. Yeah, I'm saying that you know, just like anyone in the Bible, we should welcome it, but not seek it. I'm just saying, like. Whatever we're doing now is not working. Like sure. something is horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and we're so, um, we're we're pussies, man. We're like we're so thin skinned that like we want to sue people or we want to lash out on Facebook or you know mean tweet people and all this stuff behind our devices. But when it comes down to like being Jesus to people that you hate, we can't do it. Yeah. 
And those people are the ones who are the loudest and that people think, oh, that is Christianity. You're a pussy-ass motherfucker who hides behind your screen and you're fucking around on your wife and you're doing all this other shit. Why, like, Jesus, that I should come to your God? Nah, go over there. <laughs> we're fine. Yeah. We're, we're, we're good with you. Just go away. We'll deal with you when we have to. That's how I feel, like... When you say Christianity in our society in America, that's what people think. Yeah, you know, I, I tend to agree with you there. Uh, there's the with that point. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of people see Christianity as a joke, and um, because of the representation, you know, believe it or not, I, 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 I preach this. I don't know, man, 10 years ago or something like that, where I was talking about evangelism and the fact that uh, no matter what you may think about evangelism, the things that you do, the things that you say, it all represents Christ. Like, whether you realize it or not, but you, you represent Christianity to the world when you say that you're a Christian. And we need to, we need to realize that when we are... Uh, when when we are uh, when we appear weak and and unlearned and uneducated and and not driven excuse me not driven uh, concerning excuse me concerning the the things of Christ and when we're not uh, we're not really representing what a disciple should be it still represents Christianity to your circle of, of where you live in. And I think that the bottom line is that we all have a personal responsibility to be the re the best representation of Christ possible, given our level of maturity. So I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I, I would just argue on the side of the fact that there's a whole bunch of immature Christians out there that aren't growing up. And... To be honest with you, a lot of the responsibility falls on them. Uh, you know, we all have to take personal responsibility, but the, another big portion of the responsibility falls on the Christian leadership. And so as a Christian leader, you need to choose that either you're going to teach people how to grow and mature in God, to be better representations of Christ and Christianity as a whole, or are you going to teach some prosperity bullcrap message to make people feel good? Mm -hmm. You choose. But the fact is, is that you need to take a high-level perspective, as as I feel like you've just done. You you take a take a perspective from ten thousand feet up, and say, yeah, you know, as a whole, there's a lot of Christians that aren't representing Christ in the best way, and we look like a bunch of pussies, as you put it, right? That's a high-level perspective from your your sphere. That's 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 how far you can see, right? There's a lot of people that live like that in America, especially in the Midwest. So what's the remedy? The remedy is that we all need to learn how to be true disciples, increasingly loving him, worshiping him, and obeying him in every aspect of life. Truth. Word up, dude. I think that's good. The Unchurched Podcast. Thank you for listening. That was beautiful. Ah. <laughs> With Sean and Michael. Or uh, Michael and Sean. With big shiz. 
<laughs> and the big mizzle. <laughs> the mizzle and sizzle, baby. <laughs> so hot, so hot. Thanks for listening. I'm gonna signing off in five, four, 